Scripture is from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. This morning we're going to take a look as James is finishing up. Chapter 5 is uh, the end of James. And it's speaking to a hard attitude towards the love of money. And as I first started to read this uh, in the headlines, uh, everywhere we looked was the story of Leona Helmsley that popped onto our radar screens. A woman who had amassed great wealth, and she had finally come to an end of her time and had passed away. And the thing that was interesting about Leona was that she actually gave away millions of dollars. At the end, she gave away $35 million to charities. And yet, what the media picked up on, and what you and I picked up on, was to that little puppy, went $12 million to care for the dog. And the world, and you and I at the same time, uh, just realized the absurdity of that. To take $12 million and to take care of a dog who really could care less, who really doesn't have need except to eat, and to not take care of grandchildren or to think of maybe some other areas that she might be able to offer the finance. And truly, we want absurdity. A woman of incredible wealth who, when we think of those, you know, even the mission trips that we saw, those who have lack of, lack of food, not much of it. I was just reading in the papers this week about, I think it was in Ethiopia, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was, they're uh, starting to actually look to dogs now for sustenance because they have no other sustenance. People starving all over the place. You go $12 million to a dog. Now listen, you rich, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Look at your lifestyle. Look what's going on in your heart. And you go, boy, does the Lord have something against wealthy people? What's he getting at? What's James driving at in our midst? It's interesting, Time Magazine did a survey in September of 2006 and basically asked a question to uh, 770 people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. He said, do you think the Lord wants you to be wealthy? And out of those 770, 61% said absolutely yes. That is the Lord's desire for me, to be a wealthy person. The scriptures seem to speak otherwise to that. And see, the world says, let us pursue wealth. Let us pursue getting money so that we are able to live in a comfortable 
uh, zone that we feel comfortable with. Let us pursue money so that, that we can have ease. It gives us power. It gives us reputation. And as we look at what James had to say about wealth, he spoke of it in these terms. He said, you rich people in James 1 take pride in your low position. He went on in his book to say, isn't it the rich ones who are oppressing you, who are taking you to court? And yet we keep showing them favoritism. We keep hoping maybe they'll get us out of our mess. Maybe if we befriend them, they'll give us a little of their money. James 4 talked about a pursuit after I say to myself, I'm going to make more money. And the end is a vapor. And so James goes in contrast, again, to a world philosophy of pursuing after the mighty dollar. And I hope you know, as we read this, that God is not against the rich. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that the Lord is against rich people. But he always addresses, as he does with each and every one of us, our hard attitude towards money. He addresses how we view it, how we use it. He always takes a look at our heart to see what it looks like for us. And do we have a love for money? And James, as one who is moving us to be followers of Jesus Christ, is saying that our hearts should be ones that are moving and we can do nothing but sing the praises of Jesus. We can do nothing but claim your name. We only have life because of you. We only have anything that we wear that we spend because of the Lord. And so I think he's challenging us this morning to take a look at where does money play a role in our lives? And what does that look like for us? The scriptures remind us, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. I think we've all seen that with lottery winners throughout the years, and we we hear the stories of once they've received the money and all the grief that comes upon with it. A lot of them ending up losing it all again and being in a worse situation than they were in the first place. Making all kinds of enemies, money grubbers coming after them. Again, this whole passage is in contrast to let us pursue, let us pursue, Let us get more so that we can have more, so that we can be comfortable. You cannot serve two masters. That's what Jesus says. And again, each and every one of us, no matter how wealthy you are, we all will have that question. As a poor person, am I pursuing money? As a rich person, am I... Pursuing more because I never get enough. Not money, but the love of it and how it consumes us. And this passage is a warning to all, I think, who are tempted to adopt a worldly perspective that money brings life, that money solves our problems, that our focus becomes, again, the pursuit of the mighty dollar. 
And as James speaks this in chapter 5, it's like a mighty prophet. Look at the outcome of this life of wealth, of riches. It's not repent. It's not change your ways from doing this. It's look at the outcome, and this is the outcome. If you choose to have money as your God, you will weep and you will wail because of the misery that is truly coming upon you. It's interesting the words he uses. Again, the, the setting is, the, uh, as Adrienne mentioned, the, there was incredible landowners that were taking advantage of the laborers of the field. So it would be like any big CEO today, any boss of a company, who is taking advantage of the employees. And James is coming down upon them strongly. And again, dealing with our whole accumulation of things and money in that pursuit. And he comes with judgment. You know, it's interesting, again, in, in contemporary Christianity, we, we sort of take judgment lightly, it seems like. As we went through Exodus and we looked at holy God, Unholy people, that's you and me. I think it woke us up a little bit to, my goodness, Yahweh, creator of the universe, says of us, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And if you choose to not choose the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are separated from him. If we choose to live a lifestyle where we are God to ourselves, then we do not have salvation. And God says there is judgment upon that. There's judgment upon a life that tears down the poor. There's judgment upon a sinful lifestyle. And so we have judgment and we have an incredible loving God who calls us into relationship with him. And so it's a warning not to take lightly what money and wealth and and other pursuits other than our Lord Jesus lead us to. He uses the word weep and wail. It's actually of a horrible screaming like a torment of the damned. He really is giving the image of hell. And he's saying this is where it will lead us. And judgment is coming upon And we pursue, but these things are fleeting. And the the chapter before said, all these things are a vapor. Now look what he says in verse 2. Excuse me. He says, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. And what he's talking about, there was three kinds of wealth. That were primary wealth in the time. There was kind of grain, corn, things of the, of the harvest that would bring about wealth. And he says of, of that wealth that you look to, of that grain, it has rotted. You definitely get the image of the parable of the rich man who stored in the barns. It just wastes away in storage there. And he kept thinking, well, I'll just go on, I'll live more, and I have all my things stored up. And God called his life into account that very day. 
He says, your clothes. Again, that was another form of wealth, especially purple. He says, all those things that gave you power, your clothing to show your prestige. The moths came and ate all that up. And then he talks about gold and silver, and this is interesting. He says, and their gold, it has rusted. And you go, wait a second, gold? How does gold rust? So the big picture that he's pointing at is, you know what? All of these things, all of these things, all that you have done with them, is you have just stored them away. You've used them for nothingness. <clears throat> and because of your greed and your storage and your, your, just, your heart of selfishness, everything has rotted away and has no value. And in eternity, when you stand before the judge and you say, but look at all that I have, it is worth nothing. All that we store up. You know, it's interesting about us Americans. <clears throat> There's a company called the Self-Storage Association. This is a real company. And you know what their job is? Their job is to assess how much Americans are storing. They literally go around to understand and to help the government understand what's happening with our land and what's going on in our midst. And so here's what they found. They found that the country now possesses 2 billion square feet of personal storage. That's space outside of the home. All the space is contained in nearly 40,000 facilities nationwide. According to the most recent survey, one out of every 11 homes, so one out of every 11 of us, we have a self-storage space uh, outside of our home. That's a 75% increase since 1995. More and more stuff we are getting. And what they're telling us, the people who own the storage units, is that 90% of them are full. There's 90% capacity full. And most people use them for about 15 months. So here's the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting. The average American house grew from 1,700 square feet in 73 to 2,400 square feet in 2004. And the average size family has decreased. You see what's going on? We're getting more and more, accumulating more and more of things that we, we say we need. And our families are getting less and less. Our houses are getting bigger and bigger. And we're still running out of storage space. I don't want you to get this mixed up with being good stewards either. There's wisdom in saving for a rainy day. There's wisdom in, in, in being able to provide for your family when times get tough. But you know what I think James is getting at? Is that we are hoarding stuff. A heart that just keeps stuff in storage and it just sits. We, we, have, we have so much, we, we just have to keep getting extra storage space so that we buy another house or we become like one in every 11 and pile all of our stuff. 
And don't miss this again. It's heart attitude. Heart attitude. And God, as you have given me all this stuff, what in the world am I doing with it? Truly. It doesn't mean you can't have stuff. God's not against you having stuff. He made all that stuff. He gave it to you. What are we doing with it? Is it just sitting in storage, rotting away? It's a waste. It just sits. Matthew reminds us, do, what new, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I think honestly, no matter what your wealth status, what James is getting at and what our Lord drives at often, is what is our heart towards these things? Has money become so much of my focus? Has acquiring the next thing become so much of our focus that it just rots? We use it for a little bit, and that's the end of it. And I think he's calling us to a different purpose. He's showing us what's happening. He's showing us what's happening in the community and, and the, the judgment that's coming on and how it destroys life and how they're taking advantage of laborers. And he says, all of this collection will testify against you in the day of judgment. Again, what you use for power and to control the, the authorities, to pay off the judges, to do whatever... He's saying all of that that you use for strength now has become a rope around your neck on the day of judgment. All of that that you used to accumulate to show that you were in control, now God sees how you've used it. It rusts, it corrodes, it eats away at our flesh, and it eats away at our soul. You know, it was interesting, as I was studying about Leona Helmsley, I just was looking for pictures of her life and her marriage, and, and I found two. And I wanted to show you something. I thought, here's Leona Helmsley, a younger woman, at the same time still amassing a great wealth. And as many of you know, her reputation became this. She is the queen of mean. And it just makes you wonder, as you look at her image, she's a changed woman there, isn't she? Sure seems like it to me. And it makes you wonder how that pursuit of, that consumption of, being in a position of incredible wealth and control, that's how a lot of people use money, to control others. She sure did it with her two grandkids. But it even says in Scripture, it eats away at our flesh. It's way at us. Thank you. And so I think, again, it's, it's calling us to go, is our heart moving towards the pursuit of money? A rich man's wealth, the Proverbs say, is his strong city. And it is like a high wall to him in his own imagination. That's what the Proverbs teaches us. Here's the other thing that I don't want you to miss in this passage. Again, it's, 
This is a hard... I mean, James is coming on hard on us, isn't he? And I know that's not easy. We don't like to hear that a lot of times. But again, it's, it's a warning for us to take a look. All of this in James... The thing, again, I love about James is he doesn't play around. Saying, hey, if we're truly followers of Jesus Christ... This is our lifestyle. This is what it should be like. The world is telling you otherwise. Hey, you know, get wealth and you'll make it through. And hey, live this way and this is good life. And what Scripture is saying, that's the opposite of who Christ is. It's the opposite of what I want your heart to be. And some of you may have been slammed by, in a sense, these landowners. Some of you may have been wounded by, you know, those who are unjust. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But again, as as Adrian uh, led us in that beautiful song about the Lord hears the voices of those who are crying out. He's talking about you've hoarded all of this. The wages that you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields, they're crying out against you. And never miss this. The cries of the harvesters, the cries of those who have been treated unjustly, the cries of those who are hurting deeply. It has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That's who our God is. One who hears our cries. Maybe you lost your job. Just all of a sudden, it's like, you're done. And you say, that's not fair. Where's the warning? How can I take care of my family? How do I do this? You have, you have bosses who are just coming on you hard saying that the cries here uh, are come to the ears of the Lord. He knows your need. He knows where you're at. You know, one of the things I always hold on to, and I know you do as well, which is, especially in your need, you know, you need to, you need to pay the bills, you need, you need to feed your family. I always love that Matthew 6, you know, to look at the birds of the sky, the lilies of the field, and how God knows their need. And what he says to remind us as children of God, he says, and don't you know how much more valuable you are than they? Don't you know I'm going to respond to you and where you're at? I hear your cry. I will respond. And guess what? Someday, for those who are oppressing you, they will face the judge as well. You don't have to worry about them. You're not the one who has to to take vengeance on them. Let God do his work, because he will. It has reached the ears of God and what this says about God, too, is, and this is what I really want us to, to start thinking about how we're using our lives with, with money and with things and our possessions, of which we all have a lot of. We are Americans. We all have plenty and beyond. Isn't it true? I mean, every time I take a group to Mexico, and, I, and I, we got it from the team's back, every time we go, we go, wow, I can't believe how they, they still, you know... I don't know how they make it in the midst of so little, yet they have such great life. It's a whole mentality shift. Man, we have so much. We just have stuff everywhere. Again, we've got all these storage units. We, it's coming out of our ears. We just don't know what to do with it all. And I think James is trying to point towards what could it look like for us as followers of Jesus Christ to be the opposite of these rich landowners, to be ones who are living a different lifestyle than they are and to make a difference in the lives of each other, the lives of this broken world. See, because God has a heart for the downtrodden, He has a heart for the oppressed, 
a heart for the needy, the ones that the rest of the world doesn't give a rip about. And I go, as I read this passage, I go, what does it look like for us to to be ones who are living differently? Because we're being made into His image, that we would have a heart for the broken, that we would have a heart for the ones in need. You see, money can be used for destruction or it can be used for great blessing. Money can be used to bring life or truly to bring death. You see, these laborers were crying out and what was happening was, as we see, it says you did not pay them. Every day the laborer would go out and he would work for the day And then he would be paid his wage. And then he would go and buy food for his family. And it was a daily routine. Just enough money to get just enough food. Do you see what was happening to them? You're not paying your laborers. They literally cannot feed their family. And possibly they may die. Because they have no sustenance. Scriptures say, do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset, because he is poor and he is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. The cries reach the Lord. You know where we see this a lot? We see this a lot in construction. My brother was in construction for a long time, and and I worked with him. He was a contractor. He always paid his guys. But you know, a lot of times, guys didn't get paid. Well, the other sub didn't pay me, and so I can't pay you. And so here's guys waiting for a paycheck just to pay rent. They're not getting paid. Happens all the time. If you're a Christian contractor, that should not be the character of you. You pay your men. Pay your women who are working for you. You know what else I see happen? And this happens in the Christian community. We'll do jobs together. All of a sudden, hey, sorry, sorry, brother. You know, can you just wait next week? I just, you know, I'm falling a little bit behind. And, and we assume because he's a Christian brother or sister that they'll have patience for that. We take advantage of our Christian brothers and sisters. Don't do it. Pay them what they're worth. That's the heart of God. We take care of each other that way. He says this, You are not paying them. They are not able to provide. And I thought, what is the opposite of that? What does that look like for us? You know, I heard of a friend of mine. He wouldn't say this of himself, but I heard about it. Him. Godly man. And he's in the tech industry. And he gets paid pretty well. And he had a successful project, I guess, that he did. And so here's what God put on his heart. This isn't a rule of thumb, but this is what God put on his heart. You know what? I just received a huge bonus from my company because the project went so well, and because I was the one in charge of it, I got the big bonus. You know what I found out he did? I thought this was great. He took that check cut it up evenly with all of his employees who helped him on the project. So I just want to tell you, I really appreciate you. Thanks for your value. Thanks for helping me. 
It was enough to buy something significant. He didn't do it. That's just what God put on his heart. But I thought, what are ways, again, that we can go, God, what do you want for me to do with this? You give me bonus checks? Seriously, what do you want me to do with these, Lord? I know they're not just for me to go out and buy a new big screen TV. Although, you know, maybe. (laughs) But really, what do you want me to do, Father? Then he says this, you're, you're living a life where you are living in luxury. Your whole pursuit is about more luxury and more and more luxury. I want to have all that I can get. You know, it's interesting, I found out about Picasso, who's, uh, you know, beautiful paintings and worth a lot. There was one called The Dream. He finished it in 1932. And, and in 1997, Steve Wynn, who's the big Vegas guy, builds all the big hotels and and just, a, you know, ultra rich. But he bought that Picasso painting for $47 million in 1997. And then, just last year, he made a deal. Listen to this. It went up, it, it went up to $139 million for something that's going to hang on the wall. And so he had the whole deal laid out. And here's, here's what's just classic. So he's getting photos taken of him and the painting and the trade that's going to happen here in the next month. And, and he, he turns around... And his, his elbow goes through the painting, six-inch hole in this Picasso. That deal didn't go through. <laughs> but I thought, here's this pursuit of luxury, here's this pursuit of luxury, and just like that, done. And in God's eyes, again, that's of no value. $139 million, and we got people eating dogs in Ethiopia because they have no sustenance. Sustenance? Are you kidding me? The cries... Go out to God. As Christians, we need to respond to that. Is our day filled with, what can I purchase next? I just got my paycheck, check, what else can I get? You know, I heard of a beautiful family, and so again, someone, I love how people speak of, as they see others live lives of godliness. They wouldn't speak of themselves, of course. And this is what God has put on their heart. In response to living in luxury, this pursuit of what can I get next. Again, it's not about stuff, okay? You can have stuff. But this is what God did on this family. Okay, and it's, it's our relationship with Christ. God, talk to me. What do you want me to do? This is what they do. They have chosen as a family, hey, yeah, there's certain things we will purchase, whether it's clothing or, or you know, bunk beds or whatever, but what we're going to do as a family is, as we purchase, let's say we get some clothing and it costs 100 bucks for clothing. We will say as a family, we want to take another 100 and match that and say, and how can we give that to someone in need? I love that. But that's what God's done on their heart. Wasn't that beautiful? They're, they're checking in with God, who's the giver of the greenback, by the way. I mean, he is. You don't have anything except from God. And so they're going, Lord, show me what you want me to do with the money that you give me. Let me be one who shares and blesses. And he says, you've condemned innocent men. And I go, let's be ones who come alongside those who maybe don't have a voice. Let's be ones who stand up in the courtroom with maybe those who the world would go, Psh, you're worthless. Let's be ones who don't just accuse, but actually say, hey, how can I 
befriend you in the love of God because you've been condemned unjustly. And I'm not going to be another accuser, but I'm going to be like Jesus who said, neither do I condemn you, but now let's live a lifestyle that doesn't sin anymore. Let's live a lifestyle pleasing to God. How do we step in? So here's my biggest deal with all of this. The thing that really came upon me was, because, I, you know, again, I look at my closets and my house, and I go, oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it, sometimes? And I thought, okay, Lord, what do you want for us as a church? You know, what do you want to teach us? And uh, it really kind of dealt with the idea of, of not hoarding, not keeping all this stuff, but just blessing others with it. You know, and I know a lot of you do this. A lot of you have fun toys and cabins and, and you share them. And, and I know you do that. Keep doing that. Really, keep doing that. That's the joy of stuff, isn't it? To share life with others and, and bless them with it. To share relationship together. So the opposite is, is to freely give. How does the Lord want us to give away? And I was thinking, well, we have this trip to Senegal coming up to go minister to these incredibly sick people. Let's make sure we get them there. You know? Let's give away our money so that they can go on that trip. I know they're about halfway there, but let's, let's really go, Lord, what would you have of me? Do you want me to, to lead these people to Senegal to get them there? Because it takes money. I thought of our beautiful, wonderful school that we have, raising up our kids in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, you know, just enough. Just enough to get by, but they're doing it. Maybe God puts on your heart, you know, I just want to bless this school of ours. I've got, I've got funds from God that he just gave me, and here's where he's moving my heart. Who knows? God's speaking to you. Do not miss in the bulletin today, and here's what's cool about our church. We have this food cover, and we are giving away, this last month we have given away so much food. Why? Because there's people who are needy in our midst, and in our community. Dear body, let's provide food. We, are, we ran out. We need food. So let God speak to your heart. Again, these aren't... Have to, this is you and the Lord. But let's get food in that food cover and provide. And let's fill that thing back up because people are coming in pretty much daily and going, you know, it's been a tough month. I really am running out of food. I need a little help. Let's give to that. You know, I look for me personally, all the clothes that I have, and I go, boy, I have a lot of clothes that are just sitting there. And I don't know what God's going to do with this, but maybe God's leading you somehow for us as a church body to figure out what might it look like to get all of our clothes, especially for our little ones. You know how families are just trying to make it for little ones? Maybe we get a, a situation where we, we can provide clothes that we just have so much of and, and help out families who need. I don't know. Maybe that's what God's doing on your heart. Right? But it's an idea of giving away, giving away, giving away, bringing life, not death, so that we might bless others. Amen?